Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning and welcome to the Pirates podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Chris Halleck. I'm Alex Stone. Chris, th- this is your first Pirates trade. It is. Was it everything you thought it was going to be? It was everything that I thought. Actually, so it's funny because I had I, I went into the game knowing something's going to happen, but I'm expecting roster moves. I'm expecting, you know, just something like like Greg Allen ended up getting a, a, a locker in the clubhouse. Like after the guy, I'm thinking like something like that's going to happen. And trade is just, n- was nowhere on my mind. And then all of a sudden, like John Heyman, Robert Murray, it just starts going freaking like Vogelback's being traded. And I'm like, Oh, well that, that's right. You know? So I, I was right. Something was going to happen. And there it is. Uh, of all the things that I was expecting to happen, a trade wasn't actually one of them. But that once that started happening, we were just before we started recording, we we're talking about like trade deadline stuff. Then my mind immediately goes into trade deadline like mode. And I'm like, OK, let's do this. And so, yeah, it was just. Uh, yeah. Tr- Daniel Vogelback gone. What's this lineup going to do? I, I think I, I think we should probably talk about that for quite a while because there's so much that needs to happen (laughs) it's a damn good question of what does this lineup do because let's i i mean this subjectively i mean vogelbeck he couldn't hit left-handers whatever he he was a really good platoon he was Mm -hmm. a really good platoon he was whose ops for the year was tanked a little bit because the Pirates just did not have a single right-handed alternative for him. And, okay, that stinks. You you go through – okay, I get that. I think the Mets recognized him as a platoon candidate, and they gave a little bit more of what fair market value would be. So, But he was objectively like one of four guys, four or so guys in this lineup that you could – realistically rely on this mm-hmm. year. I mean, outside of Brian Reynolds, outside no one on this team has really over the course of the entire first half of the season been consistent. Like yeah. Reynolds had a slow start. Hayes fell off a little bit. Everyone has had almost everyone's had at least like a moment in the sun. Like even Michael Perez had a three homer game. <laughs> 
they've yeah. had moments in the sun or great stretch and, and then there was also a really bad one and i know vogelback had a slump too but he also seemed like the most consistent hitter in this yeah. lineup that has been but incredibly inconsistent he, he definitely was and I think the only time he really began to fall off was whenever he had to, uh, he went on the IL for that short little stint. And when yeah. he came back, his time wasn't quite there. And then that's he started. Normal. That's expected. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like if that's like the worst he got for Vogel back and, you know, I, I've just, you know, as we're doing, you know, getting that, that trade story together, you know, I'm looking at, like, I knew he hit right. He's like really good, but he was like 17th in all of baseball and, and weighted runs created plus and, and, and uh, like 18th in OPS against right, like against right-handed pitching, like in all of baseball, like, so he hits right-handed pitching like really well. And so, yeah, it's a good get for the Mets, you know, looking at what they needed and they needed to add, you know, more to that lineup. And um, you know, they have a legitimate chance, you know, with, you know, being, <laughs> having everything that they have um, and, and he's going to help that out. And, but, you know, you look at what the Pirates got back with Holderman. I mean, this I'm is a intrigued. guy. I, I am too. I mean, 96 mile an hour sinker that that automatically kind of goes okay. You know, or you know, we you know talk about how the sinker, how baseball's, you know, how things are circular. You know, for a while it's all fastball. You know, high velocity fastball up in the zone. Now it's going back. Like you got to throw the sinker. You know, a lot. And this dude throws a, a hard sinker and. Uh, numbers look really, really good. And he's still, you know, in his, you know, still, you know, ma is maintaining his rookie status. And so he's controllable for a long time, which of course is great for the pirates. You know, that's just, that's their bread and butter. So yeah, this is, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued by it, by the return, but you do have to kind of wonder. And, and I have, you know, last night's game story, you focused on this. It's just what does this lineup do without Daniel Vogelback? Because his presence in the lineup, like actually having at bats in the lineup, was one thing. But it's his presence in the dugout. It's his presence in the clubhouse. Yeah. It's it's all of that stuff, and and it's so valuable for such a young team that it's it's almost like and Ben Jarrington said that it wasn't easy to trade him, and so they weren't trying to actively shop him. They, they just, they had a line where they were like, we're not going to take anything less than this line for him. We'll take, we'll, we'll ship him to you if you give us this. And that's what it was. And apparently Colin Holderman was the, was the line. Um, but, you know, it, it, you still have to think about the after effect. Okay. What is this going to do to such a, a, a young lineup that doesn't have Brian Reynolds in it right now? Cause he's on the IL and Ben Gamble is their most productive hitter right now. Like nothing against Ben Gamble. I like Ben Gamble as a player, but th that can't be your most productive hitter in a lineup. It just can't, it, no. even, even considering injuries that cannot be your most productive hitter. That's just, it's a recipe for disaster. That's also ignoring the fact that Ben Gamble is also a trade candidate for, for <laughs> this, these next couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, just as outfielder on a, you know, expiring contract, I think there'd be a lot of teams that'd be very cool with Ben Gamble being their fourth outfielder, yep. or maybe he's a starter for them yep. you know, like, or platoon or, or something like Ben Gamble has value to a lot of major league baseball clubs yeah. and the pirates are at the trade deadline expiring contract. It makes sense that he would be in there. I wonder what really happens in the clubhouse after that, because there was an interesting dynamic. They gave them their own corner of the locker room, but mm -hmm. Vogelback, Reynolds, Gamble were, were, you know, they had 
and I don't want this to sound like click or anything, you know, like, yeah. oh, they had their own corner and everything. But they were a tight knit group. Yeah. And there's a very real chance that whenever Brian Reynolds gets back, you know, from the IL, he's going to be the only one there anymore. Yep. And I mean, it's baseball. You understand stuff like that happens, but it's a business going you know, to but, change the, yeah. the clubhouse dynamic. This is a fairly young clubhouse. Vogelbeck was a positive voice in that clubhouse. Yep. Losing that kind of stinks, especially whenever you look at Jose Quintana is more or less gone. Yeah. Gone. Like he has finite number of days and he was, I say was, he is a really good voice in that clubhouse. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... We need guys like that. We touched on it last week also. And realistically, I think Holderman might be the best player. The pirates pick up this trade deadline, unless yeah. something truly unexpected comes through and the, they end up training like a Ben R. Reynolds. They don't want to. I, I would be shocked if they do, but it's one of those, if teams are offering, you got to see what actually comes through. I, he, we, we talk about what you need to do with the lineup. I think Holderman, you also have to know what are you going to do with the bullpen? And I think Holderman could be a leverage arm in that, in that way. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he slider is a really good pitch from everything I've heard, and you know mm-hmm. the data is supports it. Also, I think hitters are like two for twenty-seven against it so far. Yeah, which I get small sample size, but two for twenty-seven with two singles is a pretty good <laughs> start yeah. to a major league career. Yes, you know, for that, so that's good to see. Bullpen needs more consistent pitchers right there because outside of David Bednar. I, I don't know what they really have for leading leverage. Like I, I, I like Will Crow as a reliever, but I think Will Crow has also showed that he's better in a, a multi-inning mm-hmm. hybrid type role. Yeah. I think guys like Dylan Peters, Chase DeYoung have also shown that type of role or situation suits them better. You, you need guys that you could go to in the eighth or ninth. And I think maybe he can be one. I think he'll definitely get an opportunity. Yeah, if, for that to happen, and he's controllable, and like, yeah, I, I get him as a good piece there, and it helps shape the bullpen. But the bullpen, for the most part, has been pretty fine this year. It's yeah. the offense that's bottom. What? What did you put in the article? Twenty eighth and runs and twenty eighth. Yeah, twenty eighth and run, a good old runs scored. Like we're not even looking at analytics. No, no, at, no. Like this is yeah. just runs scored. Like the. the most basic stat you could have for an offense. How many times do you touch home plate and they're in the bottom 10% in baseball and they just lost their most consistent hitter, in my opinion. Yes. Over the course of this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, still, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Their best hitter is Brian Reynolds. Uh, and, and especially now that he has turned it around, but now he's yeah. going to be coming off of an IL stint with the oblique injury. And so, now it's going to be there. Even whenever I was like covering the series in Milwaukee, like it was just, it, there were a couple of games where it was like, it, it felt like it was Brian Reynolds and everybody else. Like even mm-hmm. Daniel Vogelback kind of in that, in that sense, because there were times where Vogelback as consistent as he was, but if he was facing a tough lefty, like, and he was in the lineup, it was just like the best thing you can hope for really at that point is that he draws walks. Um, and, and just because, yeah, the, the splits with righty lefty were, were, but not having Reynolds in there and not having Vogel back there now, it's just, uh, it, 
Yeah, like I get it. Like, and Sherrington did talk about like it, it might be an opportunity for younger guys to come up and get at bats. And like, okay, that's what you want to hear the GM say. Like, yeah, and there's no excuse post August second for anybody like Yoshi Susugo or Josh Fainmead or anybody taking at bats from young guys. Lose if, every game in August and September if you have to. Just give those guys at bats. Like if. It is August 3rd, and Yoshi Sutsugo is the starting DH for the Pittsburgh Pirates. There should be <laughs> – did you pay attention to the hands around PNC? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. <laughs> uh, a couple people listening to this will know what that is. If not, pump it in on Twitter. Like That came out like right before O'Neill Cruz came up. People just had enough. They're like, if we join hands around PNC Park and they, they – can't get into the ballpark until they until they call up O'Neill Cruz. Like that should be the response. Like, no, sh- bring up Jackson Winsky or Bly Madris or someone you know, instead. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think last night Jackson Winsky hit two home runs. Yeah, yeah, he's not going to be in the minors long. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, and maybe he's the guy who could factor in you know, to try to add some stability to that lineup. But, man, it... lineup's in a bad space right now whenever you've got Reynolds hurt and Hayes slumping and you trade your most consistent hitter. And like you said, Ben Gamble is the heart of the lineup right now. Yeah. Ben Gamble and Jason DeLay. Yeah. That, yeah. that can't be good. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's great to have moments like when Jason DeLay hits his first career home run and the Pirates go up one nothing. That's great. Mm-hmm. But whenever the other team pushes back and puts up a four spot in the very next inning, can this lineup do anything to mount a comeback? And, you know, a month ago, I'd say, yeah, there, it's possible. Did it happen a lot? No. But there were still times where they're like, okay, you know, they're, they're fighting back and you know what? Now I'm like, who the heck is going to start it? Like, who's going to get it started? Like, okay, even if like Key Brian, you know, gets a gets a hit, you know, which he did have the other hit, you know, of the two hits the Pirates had last on, he had the other hit. You know, if he has a hit, who else is going to hit? Like yeah. Yoshi's, you know, DH especially you know this lineup, which doesn't hit a ton of homers, and you need to string together three or four hits to get a run, and yeah. you get two hits in the game. Man, something bad's going to happen. Yep. Yeah, either you need to hit like nothing but home runs, which that's not going to happen, or you've got to be able to, yeah, like you said, string together hits, play, shoot. At this point, just try to play old school baseball. Get on first base, move them over to second base, and let's just try to get them in. Like, Depends who's moving over. I'd rather just let a rookie (laughs) swing, honestly. I've kind of looked at – we were part of – what were your little league days like? Because I played for some really bad teams that like towards the end of a couple of years, it's like, whatever, just, just go out there. Let's see what happens. I, 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 That's how I got to pitch. Like that, yeah. that was <laughs> like whenever I was a kid, man, like, like that was still of the era where, um, you know, this was still before the, the money ball movement and the analytics movement. And, uh, you had where, money ball literally <laughs> no like I'm not talking about like in like where, where the, the the scope of baseball changed and everything's still about batting average still about level swings and still about you know we're not, nobody was mentioning anything about launch angle or uh, yeah it was just yeah it was I, I don't know it was I, I was kind of like I was a kid during the steroid era like the 90s yeah. steroid era so that was 
That was uh, that was fun. That was good. We wandered. We, we wandered. did wander. We did wander. But you know what? After the pirates get two hits and twenty-one, your mind wanders. It's. I mean, how often are you able to stay engaged during that game? Yeah. <laughs> Without your mind wandering. Yeah. yeah. It's all right. Hey, we're gonna take a break here. Whenever we come back, we we gotta talk about this draft class here. Stay tuned. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back to the Pirates Podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Chris, I'm going to start off by by saying uh, thank you for your coverage those last two days because the draft, <laughs> that was that was a hell of a trip out to LA. I'm, 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 I'm humble bragging here for a little bit. And that first day of coverage, that was so great. But then like the other days, it's like I got to hand the ball off here. No, so I, was... I really didn't get to see a lot of it happening live. I got it from reading you. Mm-hmm. Like that was really my first piece of information with a lot of these draft picks and not to put words in your mouth, but I look at this year's draft class and I compare it to the year before. And I I knew it wasn't going to be anything like that, but even 2020 and like what they did there. And I'm like, I'm I'm a little underwhelmed with this class. And And that's, I mean, this is definitely make it a way too early a, opinion and there are some players in this class i i really mm-hmm. like but just all in all it's it's not like last year there no definitely. no it's it's not last year was the flashy class and i, I i'll tell you what I've, I've covered three drafts now this is obviously my first one covering the pirates and so obviously it's a completely different dynamic you know every club drafts differently they structure their farm systems differently and you know, it's, it's all, I mean, it's all different, you know? And so I, I went in, you know, kind of like trying to like get a feel for how the pirates are doing things. And I knew about their draft class last year. Like I, like, even though I was covering the Rangers, I, I knew like, okay, Henry Davis goes number one overall. And then I see all of the, the prospects they get and seeing where they were all ranked in baseball America. I'm like, Oh my God, like, dude, they got a heck of a class. Like in mm-hmm. terms of like rankings, it was like, Holy crap. That, that's like, you know, I was like, wow, you know that. And so, yeah, you look at this class and I saw a lot of comments like in the, in the, in the live files uh, for both day two and day three of, of people being like, you know, this is a pretty underwhelming class. It seems like a lot of underslot guys. And so far of the four that they have signed, they've saved uh, $367,000 on, you know, to those respective slot values. Um, you know, so like, like I get it, like it does seem a little underwhelming, but if I can, tell a really really quick story just from my very first draft i covered 
2020, the Rangers took a, a, an outfielder named Evan Carter in the second round. And they got absolutely shredded for that pick. Because Evan Carter was not in MLB Blinds or MLB.com's top 250. He was not in Baseball America's top 500. They Nobody knew who he was. Like, he was one of those, like, null, null, you know, graphics that come up, like, whenever somebody gets picked. And, like, nobody just – nobody knew who he was. And they just got absolutely shredded because it's, like, it's a five-round draft, and you t- use your second-round pick on a guy that nobody knows. Uh, didn't go to any showcases. Like, just – like, it's, like, what are they doing? What did they see in that guy? Like, he's coming straight out of high school – what do they see? Well, go to fall league and he just does whatever he, you know, he just does what he does in fall league. And a bunch of scouts are like, Oh, okay. And like, now you look, you know, at what he's done now, even with dealing with a bit of a back injury last year, he's now the team's number nine prospect on MLB.com and number four prospect on baseball America. And the Rangers have a farm system that is very, very much, trending upward they are now top 10 in baseball and so like it's i tell that very very long story to say sometimes the prospects that just were just big old head scratch they're just like what the heck were what are they doing sometimes end up turning into really really good now that guy evan carter like he's still got to become a major leaguer like that that pick is not a bust or a boom or anything yet but as of right now, the Rangers look really freaking smart for making that pick when everybody was just destroying them in the moment. And which is one of the reasons why whenever you look at like some of these guys, like, um, you know, six round pick Derek Diamond, seventh round pick JP Massey, like you look at their numbers, you're like, what do the Pirates see in those guys? Like their numbers are absolutely horrible. It's like, okay, well, maybe they, they, they saw some, maybe that area scout just has a feeling. Or like there's something like, you know, intangible about that player when it comes to his drive or his work ethic or whatever, you know, that because there's so many other things that go into becoming uh, 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 to having what it takes to be a major leaguer outside of what your spin rate is on your fastball or your curveball or, you know, whatever. Um, So I I do. There are some intriguing names here, uh, you know, like uh, 11th round pick Dominic Paracci. absolutely dominated division three. Now it's division three. Like I think like a one ERA, you know, so it's like, okay, like destroyed, you know, he's obviously too good for that. So it's like, okay, but how good can he be? That's where I'm intrigued. I'm like, okay, he absolutely dominated division three. Okay. What can he do whenever he goes to pirate city? What can he do when he goes to Bradenton? You know, what can he do whenever the pirates try to do that transition of really, really low level college to, Okay, now you got to go and you got to try to get out, you know, actual professional hitters now. So, um, so that, yeah, there are some intriguing names, but sometimes it's just the underwhelming classes. Sometimes those end up being the really good ones. And I'm not trying to, you know, carry water for the Pirates at all. What's because, you know, if, if this draft does not turn out to be a good one, if they don't get, if pretty much Tremar Johnson is like the only guy that they get out of this draft, it's a bad draft, you know, pure and simple. Um, other, I mean, just because, yeah, you got like a potential Andrew McCutcheon type player in Tamar Johnson, which is great. And by the way, when we talk about humble brags, your story on on Tamar is just fantastic, dude. It was absolutely great. Thank you. 
Um, so as, as, as much fun as I had covering day two and day three, it was even more, uh, satisfying to, to see the work that you put in day one, the work that I put in two days. Cause I think we had some really great draft coverage there. Yeah. Um, so no, but I, I think, yeah, on the whole, this has been a bit of a, on, on paper, not a great draft class, but it's so, it's, it's so hard to just go, Oh, this is a bad draft. It's just no. not, it's definitely not the flashy draft that it was last year. That's for sure. No, I'm going to break down a couple things here. Yeah. My thoughts. And I'm, since you brought up the 11th round pick, uh, Dominic Parachi, Parachi, I think. Yeah. Parachi. Okay. I didn't know if they gave an official. I rating. think. Okay. Um, in the past, the 11th round and the pirates aren't, you know, completely unique in this. This is something mm-hmm. that usually happens with teams. 11th round is whenever you take a risk yeah. with a high school player that if you don't sign, you don't lose that slot bonus and the everything associated with it. But it's an overslot guy usually. That's how the pirates got Mike Burroughs. That's how they got Max Cranick. Maybe Parachi could be someone worth something, but he's not going to be an overslot guy. Mm-mm. He's not going to be this, or if he is overslot, not a significant overslot. No, it, it, it's not, you know, this big gamble. And I kind of like the 11th round pick of being the, the big flash of gamble, especially whenever you look at Mike Burroughs, who I've written a lot about everyone who knows the podcast know that I think extremely highly of him. I think he's going to be a big league starter for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Barco is maybe Stephen Brault. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I mean yeah, this like yeah, what what, what yeah, are we yeah. what are you supposed to really? The Pirates liked him in high school, and that's fine. Like him in high school, and you know, see what happens in the major leagues or mm-hmm. or in the draft. But he was, I believe, the thirty second rated prospect by Baseball America going out of high school. And then in this draft, he was ranked 69th. And yeah, I know the Tommy John's going to impact it a lot, but that is a pretty significant drop after three years of college. Yeah. Like whatever development or growth that they expected to see out of him in three years didn't really come about. Yeah. I mean, just going based off of that. And I I put it in insider. I, I, I made it very kind and insider. <laughs> but it's like... <laughs> Guy, I really trust their analysis. Very rarely steers me wrong with these types of players. Does not like him one bit. So that's that's not a good thing. Like, I don't know. I like Harrington. I like Harrington. I think he's mm-hmm. a, a smart pickup. He was he signed already. I think he could be something in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. I like Brannigan as a pitcher. I find it weird that they're not really looking at him as a pitcher whenever basically every note I got from him was as a pitcher and it was all fairly favorable. I would get, you know, making him only one or the other. I, I don't know if I get 100. Uh, Derek Diamond. Boy, did I not hear anything good about him. <laughs> yeah, so that's the yeah, That's, yeah, that 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 was, and, one and it goes beyond. Yeah. It goes beyond numbers, and that's oh, yeah. kind of what I'm looking with a lot of these guys. Where I asked, like, is there a sleeper in this class? And I was told Mike Walsh, and it's like he could be a middle reliever. I'm like, well, that's. I mean, you need those types of guys, and a ninth rounder for a middle reliever isn't bad. That's, but that's not bad. Yeah. No, no, no. That if he does turn out to be one, that's a good pick. 
but but but, a, but, but a if that is or, the sleeper yeah. we're not paying enough attention to that pick it's like uh that's not really that high a yeah that's no mike burrows see the, the thing that i that i see from a lot of these pitchers and, and there's a lot of them i mean if you include um brannigan in it that's 16 pitchers i mean even the 15 without him i mean it's a lot of pitchers and the the from what i'm seeing a lot of these pitchers don't really profile as a major league starter or middle of the rotation, at least if they're at their back of the rotation. Right. Uh, that's uh, Harrington is the guy that I think if you squint and he grows into a little more velocity, maybe could be a three, but he's probably a four or five. Right. And so, but that I, I look through, you know, everybody else, like maybe, uh, maybe Michael Kennedy, fourth rounder. Uh, out, oh. Of the, out of Oh no. What, what did you hear? I, I heard high floor guy, high floor, higher okay. floor to ceiling. Okay. Well then, yeah, then and that's, that's probably, and that's my thing. That is my best way I can sum up this draft is there are yeah. a lot of guys who it seems like the focus is the higher floor than the ceiling. And I know that's not actually how they go about it, but you look at it and that kind of seems to be the theme here where Johnson has this ridiculously high ceiling and he could be, you know, one of the best players in the parts farm system could be an impact player in the major leagues for years mm-hmm. to come. But outside of that, I don't really see anyone here outside of maybe Harrington being a true impact player. I mean, yeah. obviously there's a lot of development to go and some guys could develop or break up, but I see a handful of middle relievers, a handful of maybe fifth starters, and there's nothing really to rally around in here. There is no Bubba Chandler, Solomito, uh Braylon Bishop, Lonnie White Jr. I, I'll always put Owen Kellington in that group because I think he's the guy people sleep on. Like, that's my thing. The difference, yeah. same source last year. I'm like, who, who are we sleeping on? They said Owen Kellington. If he pitched in Texas or Florida, this guy would have been a first-round draft pick, but he pitched in Vermont, so he was a fifth. It's like that is exactly what you want to hear in that situation. Right. Ninth, ninth rounder, he's got a good slider. He could be a middle reliever. There's yeah. a huge discrepancy between the yeah. two of them. Oh, no, for sure. And so I, I guess I can just, you know, I, I, we don't want to go too long in the segment, but I, I guess this poses the question because the, the Pirates do have a couple of really good pitching prospects currently in an organization that are getting close. Mike Burroughs, Quinn Priester, you know, yeah. you, you look at some of these guys. Okay. Is it, is it shrewd of the Pirates to go more toward the higher floor players now? since they have some players that are kind of closer to that higher risk, like as, as talented as O'Neill Cruz is, and as great as he possibly can be, there still is a risk factor there with O'Neill Cruz, like because of the type of player that he is, he's not going to that 300. He's not coming out. He, I mean, he's not going to be, he, he doesn't have the same scouting as like Termar Johnson, where it's like, this could be the best hitter since like Joe Maurer coming out of high school, like, like it's not like that, you know, there is a risk factor with O'Neill Cruz. There's a risk factor with some of these guys. And if they hit, it's going to be great for the pirates. And so if you go with the higher floor players, okay, you get like more quality consistent, I guess, like, like more quality depth, I guess is the best way to describe it. Is it a good time for the pirates to do that now? 
since they kind of already have a stock farm system, or should it continue to go for the guys that you're like you're kind of still shooting for the shooting for the stars a little bit? I I, I touched on this in last week's podcast. I think this organization has depth out the wazoo. Yeah, they they have. I I mean this in earnest. They have about sixty players in this farm system that I think would receive major league baseball. You know, time in the major leagues, right. which considering that there are what 150 or so players in the minor leagues, that is an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, you need impact players. Yeah, you need impact players, and I just don't see a whole lot of them in this draft class. And there are different ways you could get those impact players. If everything goes right, this is the last time the Pirates pick as high as fourth for quite some time. Yeah, and it it it'll just seem a little hollow if their draft class is Johnson and then nobody else. Yeah, like okay, and this this might just be my really bad memory, but I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on you since since we like had this like really good like baseball conversation last night. Um, (laughs) like who else was in the 2005 draft? It was Andrew McCutcheon, and then who else? I cannot remember to save my life. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, like I, I was 13 I, at the time also. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, right. So, I mean, I have to go back and I have to like, just like put this on Twitter or something like that, but like 2005 draft, like, I'm like, I know Andrew McCutcheon was first round pick. And then like, I can't think of anybody else. And so it, it is this another draft where it's Termar Johnson and then that's it. And so again, I think that's a bad overall draft if that happens, unless Termar Johnson becomes like a National League MVP for you. And then maybe it's like, okay, well, you still got an MVP out of it. But overall, that's still 19 players that if nobody else of this draft class ever plays in a Pirates uniform or even plays above like replacement level in a Pirates uniform, that's, that's not good. We're going to take one more break. We'll be back here in a minute. Welcome back to the Pirates podcast to be named later. Chris, I looked up the 2005 MLB draft for the Pirates. Uh, Brad Corley was their second round pick. James Boone, the third. Brett Lillibridge. Lillibridge is the fourth, and he's one of four players in this class to actually make the major leagues. It was McCutcheon, Lillibridge, Ryan Lowless, and eighth round pick Steve Pierce, World Series MVP there. So okay, so at least at least so it was Kutch, and I know Pierce didn't do it with the Pirates, but a World (laughs) Series MVP is a pretty good eighth (laughs) round pick, I guess. Okay, that's not too bad. That's yeah, that's from the Dave Littlefield era too. So you know, if 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 so, what's it's gonna be Jarvis being the ML, be the World Series MVP type of deal? We'll find out a couple years from now. And you can find out what we're talking about next week if you subscribe to the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast feed, wherever you find fine podcasts like this one, we will be there. For Chris Halleck, this is Alex Stump saying we'll talk again next week.